Hey guys, Brennan Joseph here. Just preached a message this past Sunday night about hosting the presence of God and building Him a resting place. I believe God wants to build resting places all throughout the earth. And so we look at what that means for us as the Every Heart Movement. We talk about three core convictions I believe we must carry if we want to see this reality in our midst. The first one is honor Him. Second is yield to Him. Third is treasure Him. So I pray this message blesses you guys and encourages y'all. You guys ready for tonight? Yeah. Okay. We're going to do something a little bit different. You guys like different things? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> That's a dangerous thing to say. I can do anything at this point. Um, but what we're going to do tonight, guys, is actually I'm going to preach first. Um, and then we're going to worship after I preach. Um, I feel the reason why we're doing this is just because I feel that there are some things that I'm going to preach about that will help us engage in worship in a greater way. Um, and it's very um, cohesive with the topic that I'm about to preach on. And so, are you guys cool with that? Can we lean in right away? Yeah. Okay, so maybe you need to sit, like maybe you were planning on worshiping, so you're already standing up and you need to sit down or something like that. That is totally cool. Do what you got to do right now. But we are about to jump in to the Word. Um, let me pray, and we'll do it. Sound good? Jesus, we love you. You're the reason we're here. We've come tonight for you and for nothing else. We need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you just fill me, Lord. You'd fill us. Um, we just say we're desperate for you, and we just make a space for you to come and do whatever you want to do in this room tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Well, um, if I've never met you before, my name is Brennan. I'm one of the leaders here at Every Heart. And I love Sunday nights. Sunday nights are such a powerful time for our community to go deeper with Jesus. And that is the goal tonight, to go deeper with Jesus. So tonight, what I want to talk about is building a resting place for God and hosting the presence of God. We are a community that loves the presence of God. We love His presence. We want everything that we do to flow from this place of communion, from this place of being near to Him, from this place of His presence. We believe that is where the power is. And so I'm very expectant for tonight because we are going to put a high demand on the presence of God. There's, there's not going to be, I, I pray this is this, the way that we do all of our gatherings, but tonight especially, and as I'm teaching about these concepts, you'll learn, man, I just want to be a movement that puts a high demand on the presence of God. That, that it doesn't have the demand on a preacher. It doesn't have the demand on a worship leader. That the success doesn't base off of how well somebody performs something, but off of the presence of Jesus and honoring him. That's our movement. That's what we want to do in this house. And this concept of building a resting place for God or hosting God's presence is something that I feel like isn't talked about very much. Um, and honestly, I have so much to learn about this. Man, when I started studying this stuff, I started studying about the temple, about the tabernacle, about the presence of God. I'm like, man, there is so much to learn here. I'm 25 years old. God help me. I'm, I'm learning about this stuff. I'm like, man, there is so much to learn to discover about the presence of God. And so I believe that the presence of God is not something that we like arrive at. And it's like, sweet, we got it. We got to figure it out. This is something that we as a community are going to continue to grow in and discover for years and years and years to come. There's so much more to find in him. But I have gleaned so much. I've gleaned so much from the leadership of Upper Room. How many of you guys love Upper Room? I've gleaned so much from the leadership of Pastor Michael Miller and um, the Upper Room movement and what God has been doing in their house. And this has been the conviction of their house, is to build a resting place for God, to build a place where he dwells. And from this conviction, everything from their movement is flown. And so I... I, I, got, I got introduced to this concept, these philosophies, like when I was like 19, and just hearing this language, I'm like, I've never heard this before, hosting the presence of God. What does that even mean? And, and Michael Miller has just helped me bring language and articulation for this. And so, so much of what I'm even bringing tonight has been just stuff I've learned from him and stuff I've discovered in my own journey of walking with the Lord. I read his book, um, His House, His Presence. If you've heard of it or haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to read it. It'll take you farther than I can take you tonight, way farther. But... I believe that God has something for us tonight and specifically to this community. Because I believe what God, what he's doing at the upper room, he wants to multiply throughout the earth. Yeah. And I don't mean necessarily like multiple upper rooms, 
but I mean unique expressions of the same conviction to build a house for God. And see, that is in, that is the desire of God's heart. This isn't Michael Miller's desire. This is the desire of God's heart. And so I believe there's a unique expression that the Every Heart Movement is supposed to carry of hosting God here. That there's a resting place here that looks different, but it's the same conviction to build him a home. And so before we go deeper tonight in this concept, we need to understand that from the beginning of time, it's been God's desire to rest amongst his people. You see this all the way back in the Garden of Eden. It was God's desire to rest, to dwell amongst his people. As you read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see tabernacles, you'll see altars, you'll see temples built, Moses, David, Solomon, people building places where God can dwell. This was God's desire to dwell amongst his people. And I believe that this desire has not changed. This desire has not left his heart. It's only increased. I'll explain. Isaiah 66, 1 says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? See, I believe that this, it's so clear that this longing is inside of God's heart. To dwell, he who dwells everywhere, desiring to dwell somewhere. And see, what's so crazy, oh man, this is wild, y'all, is that God, that, that same God that filled those temples now calls you the temple. Isn't that wild? That the access that they had in that moment is nothing compared to the access that you have right now. This is absolutely bonkers. This is why I believe that it's his desire, that it's an increased desire to dwell amongst his people. It's because he said, yo, a building's not enough. I want to dwell in all of them. I want to dwell amongst the earth, not just in buildings anymore. And so this is the inheritance of a Christian. 1 Corinthians 3 says this. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Wow. The dwelling place of God is no longer limited to a building, but it's meant to expand all throughout the earth through you. The access we have, guys, you, if you, in the old covenant, this temple that we're talking about, ain't nobody could go in there except the priests. <laughs> Just the priests and then the most holy place, the holies of the holies, only the high priest could go in there and he could only go once a year. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, and in that scripture right there that says you are that temple now, Hebrews 10 says that you have access to that holy place by the blood of Jesus. See, this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying like, bro, there is so much to learn here. What the heck? You're telling me that place, the presence of God, that if somebody came in there unclean would die, that that lives in me? Yes. <laughs> Man, I... I think we have to recognize how crazy this reality is if we want to experience the depths of his presence. You have access to the holies of holies, according to Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So that is the power of the blood, access to the holies of holies, nearness to God, communion with God. I, I read scriptures like James 4 that says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I'm like, man, that is such a special promise. Thank you, Jesus. But I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what like Uzzah in Ohio think about that, that scripture. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. These two dons. <laughs> the ark is being brought back to the center of the city, the presence of God. David is bringing the ark back to the center of the city, put his presence as priority once again. The ark of the covenant begins to fall off a little bit. The dudes touch it to just try to put the thing back on, and they die instantly. That is how holy the presence of God is. I wonder what they think about this scripture, draw near to, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Bro, what? You guys can just be close to God? I, he just touched it with my finger and I died. <laughs> This is crazy. This is crazy what we have access to. That's the point of what I'm saying. I hope you guys are getting it. 
the craziest, a lot of times we think about the Old Testament, you think about like, uh, like the sea splitting, you think about Jericho walls falling down, you think about manna from the sky, and you're like, man, God, if I could just see one of those miracles, God, I want to see something crazy like that, God. Oh, man, do you understand how much of a greater a miracle it is that that God lives inside of you? A lot of times we think, my friend, uh, my friend brought me into this way of thinking. I was like, bro, I've never thought about this. This is crazy. He was like, bro, don't you, don't you ever think when you go to heaven, you want to go to heaven one day, and you're like, you can't wait to ask David, like, what was it like to slay Goliath, man? Or what was it, Moses, what was it like to see the thing split? Like, what was it like? And, and you, you can't wait to go up and talk to them in heaven. And he's like, bro, you know what I think? I think they're going to come to you. I think they're going to say, what was life like with the Holy Spirit? What was life like with God inside of you? You're telling me the God that split that in half, he lived in you? What was it like? And what are we going to have to tell him? What are we going to have to tell him? Oh, yeah, bro, like, it was really good. I, I went to church, like, three out of every four Sundays. I did, uh, I did the discipleship groups. I evangelized once in a while. It was really hard for me, but once in a while I evangelized. You know, th what would they say? They'd be like, are you serious? That was it? Oh, man, guys. I want to be one who stewards that promise way better. If this is true, what I just described, and I know it's a funny way to think about it, but it's true. That God lives inside of you. If that's true, how come we don't see an open heaven everywhere Christians go? Think about that. Why is it that we don't see an open heaven everywhere that Christians go? Catch this. I believe it's this. I believe it's because although he lives in us, he rests where he's hosted. I believe it's because although he lives inside of us, he rests where he's hosted. His presence, nearness is our inheritance, but the depth to which you access that is up to you. We don't have an, an inheritance issue. This is clearly our inheritance, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. That's our inheritance. This isn't an issue of God not wanting to pour himself out. He wants to. This is a hosting issue. Right? Because although we have access to that reality, we're not robots. He's a relational God. He doesn't want to just take over our body and just, you know, make us robots and just do whatever he says like a joystick. He's a relational God. He wants to be hosted by us. And so when a people begin to host him, then there's open heaven everywhere. So this is my desire for our community, guys, that we would discover what it means to build a home for him here. A place where he can rest, a place where he can be himself, a place where he can move with no restrictions. And I believe that as we build him a resting place here corporately, we will begin to become individual resting places out there. Man, I, I want to have a story to tell Moses when he asks me. I want to I tell him about nights like tonight. Man, I want to, when he's asked me, bro, what was it like with the Holy Spirit? I want to be like, bro, that Sunday night, man. That Sunday night when this room got together, whatever day it is, February or whatever, God broke in, this dude got healed, this guy got touched, I got wrecked, I want to be able to talk about life with the presence. So I'm going to teach primarily what this means for us in a corporate context. I want to bring some language and clarity to why we do some of the things we do. And I think, I hope the concepts will translate to your individual life, but I, I do want to be clear, I'm bringing a pretty specific message to our house and to our family. Like I'm talking to you guys, I'm talking to us that have been here, I'm talking to you guys that come night after night after night, that we have intentionality in why we do some of these things in worship. So it's gonna be a pretty worship heavy message. I'm a worship leader as well, so um, it kind of makes its way into every time that I preach. So um, you guys have been there when I'm, I'm hosting and I just start singing and while I'm hosting like, man, I, I, I can't get this off of me. I love his presence. I love his presence. When I'm preaching, I love his presence. When I'm preaching the gospel, I love his presence. This has to be the core conviction of our house. And so I'm speaking to us on a corporate context, primarily in the context of worship. So if you're new here, you're just kind of getting invited into a family conversation. Um, and so here we go, guys. The importance of his presence to us in this generation. Like I said, I believe this, this concept 
is something that is not talked about and it's lacking in the body of Christ. And it's something that I believe we need to recover or that we need to talk about more. Um, because if we want to see real kingdom impact, it is impossible to see kingdom impact apart or detached from his presence. His presence is the source from which anything powerful in Christianity flows from. I'm serious. There is nothing powerful about Christianity outside of God's presence being attached to it. And I believe in the heart of our generation is a longing for this presence that I'm talking about. There's a longing for the real, transformational, power-filled Christianity. There's a longing inside the heart of this generation for real truth, for real hope, for real purpose, for real love. There's a, there's a longing inside of this heart, in, in the heart of this generation. And many have turned away from Christianity or Jesus because they haven't seen that presence. They haven't seen the real man, and they've turned away from it. They've run to drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, different identities. They've run to, you know, what, whatever other high they can feel to try to fill that longing in their soul that can only be filled by his presence. This is a real man. A generation is looking for a real man, a real relationship. I believe it, guys. This is what happened to me. This is the discovery that I had, everything I just described. That's the discovery I had in my dorm room at Cornerstone. I discovered that presence for the first time in my life. The presence I just talked to you about. See, I grew up around Christianity. I grew up around the church. I grew up around Christian things, but I never met the presence like that. I'm 19 years old in my dorm room, and I begin to get captivated by the presence of God. Absolutely addicted. I start getting filled with the love of God in ways I never experienced before. I start getting set free from stuff I didn't know I could be set free from. I start getting captivated. I'm like, oh my gosh, how come no one ever told me about this man? How come no one told me he was this good? How come no one told me he was this beautiful? How come no one told me I could know him like this? I begin to get introduced to that presence. And see, that's the beginning of where Met by Love was formed. That's the beginning. That's the foundations of a movement like this. Bryce and Jonah too, but me getting rocked by the presence of God. And I looked out at my school, and I said, God, there's a lot of people at this school that know how to do Christianity, that have the same story as me, that have gone through the motions, that have checked all the boxes, that have done all the things, but not a lot of people have seen the man I've been meeting with in my dorm room. And I said, Lord, I'll do anything for this whole school and for my generation to see you like that. Amen. And I made a vow with the Lord. I made a vow with the Lord that I didn't know at the time, but it's very similar to the vow that David made in Psalm 132. When he said this, I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That's what God told me to do. He told me to start inviting people into my dorm room. Not literally, but spiritually. The resting place that was in my dorm room, he wanted to introduce himself to, to, to a generation like that. He wanted to invite people into his presence. This is where the transformation happens. See, those Monday nights in Cornerstone, some of you guys were there, they were not pretty. We, we didn't have microphones. We, uh, I'm screaming my head off every single time. I sound horrible. We didn't have merch. We didn't have cool light, like anything cool about it. It was, it was raw and it was gritty. And the only thing that would have brought you to that room is the presence of God. And that's what I began to discover. And then I realized that's good. <laughs> that's exactly what God told me to do. When I realized that people weren't coming there for entertainment, people were coming for a man. And supernatural miracles started to happen. A girl who was given days to live got healed of cancer. People start getting baptized in Lake Michigan. People who came to school just to party at the school next over, getting saved. People who came to it just to make fun of it, begin to get encountered by his presence. I'm like, man, what is it? It's clearly not our cool strategies. We don't have anything. I'd never preached before. I never led a Bible study before. I just learned how to lead worship the summer before that. I'd never done anything cool for God. The only reason you would have been there is the presence. And see, what I'm trying to show you is that the foundation of our movement is the presence. And it still is the presence. Oh, 
So, I've been saying the word presence a lot. And so I want to demystify what I'm talking about when I say God's presence. I want to bring clarity to what I'm talking about. Because I feel like a lot of times we talk about the presence of God and it's kind of a super ethereal, mystical thing. We're like, the presence. <laughs> In reality, it's so simple, okay? So, here we go. God is a person. Not that he is merely human, but that he has a personality. He has a mind, emotion, and will. He has a presence. And so this is what I mean when we say the presence. It's not a mystical concept that we make it out to be. His presence is simply that, God being present. His presence is God being present. See, I, I can say about my wife, I love Kylie's presence. To say I love Kylie's presence is to say I love being with Kylie. It's to say I love spending time with Kylie. It's to say I love engaging with Kylie. So to say you love God's presence is simply to say you love being with God. You love communing with God. You love engaging with God. And so when we say that we want his presence here, simply what we are saying is we want to engage with the man. We want to interact with the man. We want to be affected by the nearness of Jesus. And I believe that the scriptural promises that I shared earlier show that God wants to engage with us even more. That he wants to build a resting place among us. So if what I said is true, if he rests where he's hosted, and what I mean by that, if he rests, like if he makes himself tangible or manifest where he's hosted, then I want to talk about hosting his presence. Because that's what we want. We want the manifest presence of God, undeniably, 100%. I want God to break in. I want to experience him. I want to engage with him. I want interaction with him. And so if that is correlated to how we host his presence, we ought to talk about hosting his presence. We ought to talk about what it looks like to host the presence of a king. So that's what we're going to do the rest of the way. We're going to talk about how to host the presence of God, primarily in a corporate context. But again, I believe that these concepts will translate into your individual life. So the three things I want to talk about in hosting the presence of God are this. Number one, honor him. Number two, yield to him. Number three, treasure him. So let's start with number one. Honor him, yield to him, treasure him. The goal of communities like this is typically to help people grow closer to God, grow in their relationship with God. And in the name of doing this, I believe we've prioritized building lots of programs, outreaches, schools, services, and groups, which again are all good things. And we have lots of those. But I believe if we really want to see people grow, we first need to prioritize building a resting place in our midst because all of those additional things will only carry power when they're birthed from and driven by his presence. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. We love reaching people. We are a missions movement. But we are a missions movement that was birthed from a presence movement. And at our core, this is who we are because there's no missions movement without his presence. There's none of that without his presence. So if we want to see people grow in our communities, again, I'm talking more in the corporate body of Christ, gatherings like this. If we want to see, which I believe we have a shared goal, leaders in communities like this, to see people grow in their relationship with Christ, I believe we must first understand how to honor his presence, to revere his presence. And I'm not basing this off of my own ideas. I'm basing this off the Bible in Psalm 25. It says, friendship is reserved for those who fear God. So if the goal of this is actually for you to grow in friendship with God and for you to actually grow in communion with God, then we ought to talk about revering God. That's what the scripture is telling me. Increase your reverence, there you will increase your friendship. See, there's no verse that tells me increase your programs, there you increase your friendship. Because the thing is, you can do all of those things without his presence. But according to this scripture, you cannot increase your reverence without increasing friendship. Therefore, if greater friendship with God is truly the goal of these places, then we must be more concerned with the state of our reverence than the state of our programs and services. So how do we create a culture of reverence and honor for the presence of God? I'm going to talk about it in a second because I, I just want to give you a personal, man, I believe this with everything in me. I, I, I read that scripture and I was like, man, I just said some wild stuff. Is that true? I began to reflect on it in my own life. 
And I began to see that fascination, is t- fascination with God has taken me so much farther than any program has. And I believe that's true for humanity as well. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a, I'm a musician, so seen a musician who has fascination with his instrument versus a musician whose mom made them do the piano lessons when they were 12. <laughs> Tell you what, I got fascinated with the drums about four years ago. I learned within two years how to play the drums because I was fascinated by them. Homie, who's Jimmy, who's 12 years old, and mom makes him do drum lessons, that boy never learned how to play the drums. <laughs> See, because programs won't do it. Fascination, love, reverence will take you so much farther. And so I'm telling you guys, this is a, this is a scripture we must understand. Friendship is reserved. Psalms 25. Friendship is reserved for those who fear God. We want to be people who revere him. So again, I'm sorry, I backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about what it means in this community, in this context, to revere the Lord. We have specific things we do that you may not even know that help us value this. And again, that's why it's so fun, because we've, we've agreed on a lot of this internally. We've never said a lot of it externally, so I'm excited. But the first thing I want to approach is I want to approach this logically, because I think logically is fun. It's, you can you just make fun of the way that we think sometimes. So, <clears throat> Okay. I want to confront illogical things we've normalized in our gatherings that rob us from honor. Okay? I don't know if you guys have seen this as normal, but I'm a worship leader, so I'm telling you I have. Program-centered worship sets that are more centered or more concerned with getting through the set exactly how they're planned and practiced than they are concerned with if God was pleased. Communities of passionless worship with coffee in our hands. Set lists pick based off of the top 10 Christian CCM songs right now. Songs that are primarily about me and how I'm going to make it through and what God can do for me. Now, everything I said is not inherently bad. I just want you to think about what I said at the very beginning and the access in which we have to the Almighty God in the presence. And what our norm has been to respond to that reality. Does that sound like the reverence that he's due? I hope you guys understand the answer is no. Because it logically makes zero sense to welcome the king of glory like that. It logically makes zero sense. For when, when, when somebody of, of importance walks into a room, I want you to think about if a king, a prime minister, uh, a president, if somebody of importance were to walk into this room and we were beginning just like, hey, we're just chilling, man. Like, we're all hanging out. We're drinking coffee. We go up to them and start asking them about what they can do for us and ourselves, me, 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 centered conversations. That would be unnatural and weird. Yet that's what we do with God all the time. That's been normalized in gatherings like this. Me-centered worship. Because how you welcome somebody says a lot about how you value them. And because of this, We have a value here for welcoming God with thanks and praise. I'm getting real practical now. See, this is logical. To me, it's logical for if the king of glory walks in the room, how could I talk about myself? I have to, oh my gosh, he's here. Thank you. Hallelujah. I I have to talk about him. It's logical, but not only is it logical, it's biblical. Psalm 100 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. See, this command from David teaches us the way that we're supposed to enter the presence of God. And this is why the first portion, you guys maybe have never noticed this, but the first portion of every single one of our worship sets is vertical. It's an internal value we have that every single time, the first 20, 30 minutes of our sets are going to be giving God something. I'm not going to come into the presence of God empty-handed. When God is in the room, I'm going to respond with thanks and praise every single time. We even try to not say the word me in the first 20 minutes. How can we avoid? And there's totally songs that say the word me in it that are super vertical. I'm not trying to get religious about it. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is we try to take me out of the center and put him at the center. We say thank you. We praise you. We make him the main character. See, it reminds your soul who you're in the room with. It tells him and it tells yourself that he is the most important person in the room. When you worship him like he's in the room, it engages, it tells your soul to engage with that reality that he's here. And we so easily forget that, guys. We so easily forget that God is actually in the room, that we actually have access to him. And I believe this is why so many, we have boring worship nights. 
boring worship nights are because the room didn't believe God was there. It's that simple. I don't believe in boring worship nights, bro. It's God. We're worshiping God. And see, so when you worship him like he's in the room, it awakens your soul to that reality. And so sometimes, you know, I, I lift my hands in worship. Not a lot of us, we lift our hands in worship when you feel the tingles, when the moment feels right, when it's your favorite part of the song, and you're like, now I'll lift my hands. For me, I lift my hands the moment I come in because it tells my soul God's in the room. It reminds me. I forget. I forget all the time. I have to get on my knees to remember, you're worthy of reverence. You're worthy of reverence. See, I don't do it because it feels good. I do it to remind my soul God's in the room. And that's the best thing that I could do for myself in that moment. It delivers us. This entering in like this with thanks and praise, it delivers us from me-centered worship. That's all about what I can get out of this as opposed to what I can bring him. See, the heart of worship isn't about gaining, it's about giving. You ever heard a conversation like this before? I didn't really like worship today. I didn't like worship today. The, I didn't like her voice that much. I didn't like the songs that they sang. Songs were a little bit too fast for me. Songs were a little bit, the speakers were a little bit loud. Like, I don't know, I, I didn't really like that church. You guys ever been in the Yelp review after with your family in the van, you know what I'm talking about? You finish church and you and the, you and the fam get in the, in the car and you just start having a Yelp review about the church. I didn't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. Since when has worship been about you? Since when has worship been about your preferences and your liking and the way this, the style and the songs that you like and your top five, you know, they didn't play your Spotify wrapped list. And so you're like, man, these guys, I didn't like that church. I'm going to give them a three star. Like what? When did worship become about you? Worship is about Jesus. And guys, honestly, leaders have heard so much of that crap that I'm saying that we've fallen into the trap too. We make adjustments trying to please our communities instead of trying to please God. And this is dangerous. And it has led us to build entertainment industries instead of resting places. Coming in with thanks and praise is one of the easiest ways we can wage war against this assignment of self-centered worship. I've seen it work. I'm telling you from experience, I've seen it work. I, I'll be honest, what I just described, I love this community because I haven't experienced much of that from you guys. Maybe you're just not telling me about it, but um, I haven't experienced much of the like, I hate the way you guys do this. You guys worship too loud. And literally last semester, we had a drum cage, no drum cage and drums. And it was so crazy loud in here and everybody's ears were probably bleeding, but I didn't hear anyone talk to me about it. <laughs> I know what was going on in your head, but I didn't hear anyone talk about it. <laughs> and that is why I love this community. And why have I seen this to become true? Is because this, I've never taught about this publicly. And see, as a leader, I've found that concepts that are caught without me clearly making a statement about them are typically because that concept is woven into your original design. And that when your soul begins to experience it, you just follow it because it's natural. And so you've realized that it's natural and you were designed to bring worship to God and not to yourself. And so I believe that's the reason why I haven't experienced much of that from you guys is because all we've done, haven't talked about it, haven't preached about it. All we've done is every single time in this room, the first 30 minutes, you have to give glory to God and self has got eliminated. It's purified us. It's purified us from self-centered worship, the simple concept of entering in with thanks and praise. Entering in with praise honors him. It creates space for him to be himself. It's the natural way to welcome someone of that magnitude. See, I believe this model in Psalm 100 is wisdom. It's, the, it's wisdom for the best way to encounter God. See, some of you might hear Psalm 100 and you think this egoistic God in heaven saying that he needs your praise. Like he's up there like he's insecure or something. God doesn't need your praise. He's got a lot of praise going on up there. He's not insecure. He's not egoistic. The, way, the reason the Bible teaches us to do it like this is because it's best for you. It's actually the opposite. God knows that blessing him will bless you. God knows that getting your eyes off of you is actually what's best for you. 
So it's actually the opposite of an egoistic God. It's a loving, selfless God saying, hey, here's a much better way. It's good news. It's good advice. Thank you, David. <clears throat> if we can see him rightly, we can encounter him fully. The depth to which you honor him is the depth to which you will experience him. Let me explain. <clears throat> um, I use this example for our worship leaders a lot. Because I like using people that are actually done something significant for God instead of like famous people. Unless it's LeBron James. Sometimes you hear me use LeBron James a lot. But I'm talking about Reinhard Bonnke. Anyone know Reinhard Bonnke? Yeah. All right. Reinhard Bonnke led 80 million people to Jesus. 80 million people to Jesus. He's a big deal. That's the point. Reinhard's a big deal. He passed away, I think, like five-ish years ago. Okay, so imagine we're like 10 years ago, okay? Imagine what's going on 10 years ago. Reinhard Bonnke walks into the room. Imagine Sunday nights is over, and we're all just hanging out. We're talking. Reinhard Bonnke walks into the room. Most of you guys don't know what he looks like. So if he comes into the room, we're all just chilling. We're just hanging out. Reinhard Bonnke's right over there in the corner, and we're just all having a good time talking about whatever. And see, what, what, would, what would happen? Think about this. So you did not experience his presence because you did not honor his presence. Now imagine if I were to stand up as soon as Reinhard Bonnke walks in the room. I'm like, guys, that's Reinhard Bonnke. That's the guy who led 80 million people to Jesus. I start praising him and thanking him for all of his work. I make him a big deal. Instantly his presence begins to affect you a lot more. Does that make sense? The depth to which you honor someone is the depth to which you can experience them. And I see this narrative. I didn't make that up. This narrative is in the Bible, Matthew 13. I talked about it. I talked about it in the context of faith a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to talk about it in the context of honor because right before it confronts their unbelief, it confronts their dishonor. Matthew 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began to teach the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's? Isn't his, isn't his mother named Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And we know the rest of the story. He could do no more miracles or he couldn't do many miracles because of their unbelief. So he could not reveal himself the way he wanted to reveal himself because of their lack of honor. See, they thought they had him figured out. They're like, this guy's the carpenter. He's not the Messiah. This guy's the carpenter. And because they thought he was the carpenter and not the Messiah, they encountered the carpenter instead of the Messiah. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> You're in the room of the Messiah and you don't get to encounter him because you dishonor him. Same way Ronhard Bonnke comes in the room, you don't recognize or honor him, you're not going to encounter him. You're not going to experience him. Same thing with Jesus. We have to honor him to experience his fullness. They let their pride rob them from seeing the Son of God right in front of them. and He couldn't do any more miracles because of it. I believe he wanted to do more. He wanted to reveal himself. But he withheld himself because of their lack of honor. And see, this makes sense to me because he wants to be welcomed. This is enforcing what I talked about earlier about he wants to be hosted. He's not just going to make you, he's not just going to burst into his hometown and start doing miracles everywhere. He wants to be honored. He wants to do it relationally. He, he wants to be welcomed. And so we have to focus on hosting him. How do we host him? We honor him. Right? You guys, you guys know this. You've probably experienced this. It's a lot easier. Like when I say host him, when I say I want all of him, I mean I want God to feel like he can be himself here on Sunday night. And how many know that you felt that from other people? When you get respected by somebody, when, when someone praises you, when you're welcomed, when you're honored into a room, there's a permission for you to be yourself. And so that's what we want to do is we want to be a house that welcomes God to be himself completely. I don't have time to hit the part. I'll do it really quick, but you can go deeper with it. It might go over some of your heads because I gotta go fast. But this, this feeds into my next point. The next point is yield to him. But 
As I head into the next point of yielding to him, I want you to take note of something. I have found in my life that every time I honor his presence, he cannot help but reveal himself back to me in powerful ways. Because the heart posture that is formed in thanks and praise is impossible for him not to be attracted to. Let me explain. There are three things I look at the life of Jesus when I walk, watch him and, and, and I look at the cultures of the Bible. I see three things really loudly that move the heart of God. Three heart, three heart postures. One is purity. Two is hunger. Um, three is faith. I'll give you Bible verses for all of them. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. He likes purity. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He likes hunger. Number three, it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11. He likes faith. He's pleased with faith. And so what I have found is that thanks and praise every single time postures those things in my heart. And it creates a landing strip for the Holy Spirit. Have you ever tried to be impure while thanking God? Have you ever tried to be selfishly motivated and then start worshiping? The impurity goes real quick. You got all these selfish things going on in your head. And you begin to say, God, thank you. I bless you. I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Those impure thoughts, they begin to go down and go away. Purity begins to form. You ever been so full of unbelief? You come into gatherings like this and just like, man, I'm just so unbelieving. When we begin to say, thank you for the cross. We bless you, God. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for saving me. Faith hits your heart. He's pleased by that. You ever start thinking, God, you're, so, you're not hungry, you're not desperate for him, and you begin to remember what he's done for you? You're like, man, God, thank you. You saved me from this. You've done this for me. You've been so good, and instantly your heart gets hungry for more of him. You've seen him, and now you're like, oh, I want more. It's like when you see the dessert, and you weren't hungry, but then you see the dessert, and now you're hungry. It's the same thing. So thanks and praise forms these things in your heart, and it forms a landing strip for the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to talk about number two, yielding to him. Because when you honor him, he's moved. The power's coming. It's your choice if you want to yield to it or not. And that's what we're going to do here in a second when we worship. These, these next two are going to be quick. But we are going to honor him in this room with thanks and praise and worship him. And I believe that as he does that, that heart posture is forming. And it's going to attract his power. And he's going to reveal himself to us. And then we have a choice if we're going to yield or not. So here we go. What does a good host do? I was scrolling on Instagram while I'm... While I'm Preparing for this message, probably a bad idea, but God help me. Maybe it was God, because he put this video right in front of me of Lyle Phillips. Anyone know Lyle Phillips? Legacy Nashville, incredible leader. And he's talking about hosting the presence of God on his Instagram. I'm like, thank you, God. You redeemed my distraction. <laughs> um, okay, so this is his quote from his Instagram. He said, phenomenal hosting happens when you make the preferences of your guests your priorities. Phenomenal hosting happens when you make the preferences of your guests your priorities. I want this to be a room where his preference is our priority. See, a good host will make the guest the leader. <laughs> a good host makes the guest their leader. Their way goes. You know, you're, you're a little kid, you're having a guest over, your mom's like, what does your guest want? It's like, well, you're the guest, they go first. You've heard the you're the guest speech from, from the mom, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're the guest, you go first, you get, you get to do whatever you want, that's good hosting. <clears throat> Their way goes. See, we, me and Kyle are so blessed right now, we get to, um, a lot of the DTS speakers that are coming in, they get to stay at our house, and we get to host them. And if you know anything about my wife, you know that she's an incredible hoster. She is so gifted in hospitality. Um, and so one of the things that I admire about Kylie, and one of the things Kylie does, is she yields to the presence of the people that are in the room. When we have those people over for dinner, she makes them the most important person in the room. She rarely talks about herself. Instead, she asks them so many provoking questions that we quickly go from being the host to the one who's being hosted as they bless us. See, and this is where the phrase, which Upper Room has coined, I believe, but that we have fully adopted, comes from. That we welcome him as the guest of honor until he becomes the leader. That's what Kylie did. She's welcoming this guest of honor in her house. And because she pulls so much out of them, she yields to their presence in the room. They start leading us. They start blessing us. And that's what we want to do with God. We want to welcome him as the guest of honor until he becomes the leader, which is what I'm talking about. Um, 
Okay, so to host him well, we have to give up our preferences for his. Right? Like when you host, even though you prefer chicken, and whoever's coming, if they prefer steak, you're getting steak. And in nights like these, you might prefer comfortable. He prefers supernatural. You might prefer looking cool. He prefers affection. You might prefer complacency. He prefers growth. You might prefer sin. He prefers holiness. When he offends your preference, do you yield? This is the mark of a resting place. One of our aims of these nights, the points of these nights, guys, are for us to learn what God likes and yield to it. I'm not talking about the aimless yielding where it's just based off of your feelings and whatever you feel like you're going to yield to that. No, this is why we preach from Scripture these nights. This is why we, we, we teach the cultures of the Bible. We want to teach you, we want to teach us what, what is God like and then yield our lives and reorient our lives around it. And so my hope is that as we're teaching these cultures, as we're teaching the word, that you begin to understand what God likes more, what he likes and what he doesn't like, so that when we worship, you know when it's, vo- when it's his voice and when it's not. The, 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 this is why we go deep in these times, guys, is so that we can know how to host him even better. Our hope, our desire is that you would learn how to yield, and ultimately yielding would lead you to experience his nearness in a greater way. You hear what I'm saying? It's all about his presence. It's all about getting you to fall more in love with Jesus. In Luke 7, there's a story about a man who didn't yield. I preached from Luke 7 in about 20 different places. Tonight I'm talking about the Pharisee who didn't yield. See, the Pharisee had his plans. You guys, you guys have heard me talk about the Luke 7 woman. But the Pharisee had his plans. He had his set list. He had his sermon series. He had everything, all these preparations made to host Jesus. And then Jesus comes in. And then instead of yielding to his presence, he yielded to his program. But a woman came in and she yielded to his presence. She comes in and she breaks the alabaster jar perfume. She pours the oil at his feet. She yields to the presence of God. And because she yielded to the presence of God, she encountered God. She encountered the presence of God. You know what the Pharisee did? He left the exact same. He left the gathering the exact same. No breakthrough. No freedom moment. But that woman met Jesus. He said, your sins are forgiven to her. He didn't say nothing to the Pharisee. The Pharisee left the exact same. When he comes in the room, do you yield to his presence or do we yield to our programs? Lacking yielding will always withhold the outpouring. Can you imagine what would have happened if Asbury yielded to their program instead of his presence? Some of you, how many of you have heard about what happened at Asbury last year? Most of us. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place at Asbury. And you have to think about how crazy this is, guys. Like, I don't know if you know the story. Some guy's preaching at a normal chapel. A normal chapel. Some of you guys go to Christian schools. You've been to chapel. Normal chapel, dude is preaching. Feels like he yields to the Lord a little bit. Feels like there's a little bit more that God has for it. Some students begin to yield to the Lord. The Lord tells him there's more. I got to talk to this guy. This guy gets up and he starts playing the piano. He's up there after chapel. It's weird at this point, man. He stays and he's worshiping God with just a few other people. Two hours go by. He's still worshiping. How easy would it be to give up right then? Like, man, I'm so tired. Chapel's been over for two hours. Still only a couple people here. Goes hour three, still playing his hands hurt. God's telling him, keep going, keep going. He keeps yielding to the spirit, hour four. He's still playing his hands hurt. People are starting to figure out what's going on. People start showing up, hour five, hour six. This dude played for six hours on the piano. One guy. Can you imagine if he would have stopped on hour three? Not a single one of us would be talking about Asbury. But this kid yielded to the presence of God. And not only did he yield, you got to think about how much yielding happened to that, guys. Not only did he yield, the whole school yielded. The administration, the professors, the city, they have to change the way they do everything. They all, they, there was easily a moment where the administration should have been like, we're shutting this down. we got to stop. This is really, what about these students? They have to get their degrees. They have to go to class. They have to do these things. What if they would have yielded to that instead of his presence? My, it's such a funny thing, my... My uncle's brother 
is actually the, like the mayor of that town or something, whatever, whatever it is. So he was the one that was having to deal with all the chaos of like all the, all the hotels are full. It's chaos. I showed up, guys. It was insane. Like cars everywhere. Like people just like all over the place. No parking. It's, it's madness. Can you imagine if my uncle's brother was like, we're shutting this down. We're kicking everybody out. No, it's my, it's on the other side. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, okay, let me explain real quick. Real, real quick side note. I'm t- I'm t- I'm t- I got to defend myself. You guys are good. Listen to this. You ready, Connor? I'm going to explain it to you, okay? My dad, sister, husband, brother. See? Okay. Anyway, you get the point? What would happen if Asbury didn't yield? There would not be an outpouring that we're talking about right now. So building a resting place, building a place where he rests means that his way goes. This doesn't mean that we don't prepare. It means that we yield to his ways as we prepare and as we do. It means that our set lists are on the table of yielding. Our message is on the table of yielding. Our schedule, on the table of yielding. Our structure, our lifestyle, before, after, and during is on the table of yielding. See, yielding isn't about constantly being interrupted. It's about prioritizing his will above your own. He wants to be received. Yielding means receiving him as he is. He isn't going to force you to follow his leadership. You may have parts of your heart that you've wondered why you haven't got breakthrough, and it's because every time God wants to break into that area, you resist it because you're unwilling to yield. See, when, true, when people truly yield to him and he rests in their gathering there, there's no telling what he's going to do. God wants to heal. He wants to love. He wants to deliver. He wants to pour out his mercy. He wants to pour out his kindness. He wants to pour out his power in ways that we can't imagine. He's just looking for people who would actually let him go beyond what they can imagine. Do you get that? What they can imagine. That's your plans. Your plans. What you can imagine. He's looking for people that are willing to go beyond that. I wonder how many campuses God wants to do what he did at Asbury at. But there's just a bunch of people that aren't willing to yield. That's what I noticed after it happened. After it happened, did you see it go viral on campuses all over? I don't know if it was necessarily that God decided sovereignly we're going to start hitting the campuses or if it was just, hey, people are finally yielding. Hey, people finally believe that I can do something more than their box. I genuinely think that's more what it was about. It wasn't about chasing a high or chasing hype. It was about people who were willing to yield more than they were before. Band, you guys can come back up. Not back up. You can come up for the first time. (laughs) I want to build a culture where there is zero resistance to the move of God. This is my last point. Treasure him. I'm going to blaze through this one because all I have is scripture for this. Everything I said just sounds like a load of religion unless we have a shared value of treasuring him. If we believe that stewarding his presence is worth taking seriously. Everything I said doesn't matter unless you believe that. Unless you actually believe that his presence is worth it. Unless you, we have to come into agreement around some of these scriptures like Exodus 15 that says this. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go? What else will distinguish me from your people or from all the other people on the face of the earth? What they were saying is that he is greater than the promised land. You know that? That's what Moses was saying. He said, I don't want the promised land if I don't have you. I don't want the money. I don't want the success. I don't want the popularity. I don't want the job. I don't want anything if I don't have you. I don't want the promise. You are the promise. You are the treasure. You are everything to me, God. All of that is garbage compared to you. Does that sound like another scripture? Philippians 3. I consider everything else Garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you want to know his presence like that? Where everything else is garbage in comparison to sitting with him, being with him, knowing him, engaging with him. You can know him like that. I believe it's available. Psalm 84. 
Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. You ever experienced that before? You can tonight. You know, that's like a thousand. Three years. Three years. Or one day with God. I've experienced this, y'all. You know, he's not talking about some of you are like, man, I've never experienced that before. It's because you've experienced a lot of entertainment services. You've experienced a lot of um, Christianity going through the motions, religion, but you haven't experienced the presence that David's talking about. Because when you see his presence like this, then you'll know what he's talking about when he says better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Oh, I want to know his presence like that, guys. I want to treasure him like that in this community where we are all under the same agreement that we want him. We treasure him. All of this is nothing without him. While I'm singing, it's unto him. While the guy's preaching, it's unto me growing with him. I want him. Last scripture, Matthew 7. Treasure is worth finding, right? Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open. If you want to find the treasure, you have to seek it out. Some of us are waiting for the presence that I'm talking about, and you're waiting for God to just come in and disrupt your life and just completely take over. In reality, there's a freedom or there's a power to be found. There's a depth of his presence to be found on the other side of James 4. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. There's power. There's, 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 a, there's an encounter to be found on you initiating with God. You getting desperate for God. Oh, man. Guys, so are you content? I hope, I hope you're not with just casually coming to these nights, and we're about to sing. Are you content with casually singing? Are you desperate to find him? Do you want to find him tonight? Do you want to experience what David was talking about when he said, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere? Because that's what I want. That's the life that I want. That's what I believe this movement, that's the inheritance of, the, of this movement, is that kind of presence prioritization, if that's even a word. Okay. So, I'm done. This is what we're going to do. We're going to host the presence of God for, I don't know, 45 an hour and just see what he does. And I want you to practice, like, actually hosting. Honor him. Yield to him. Treasure him. And watch what happens over the next hour. I don't want to get religious about it. Don't, don't be like, oh, no. Is this the honor moment? Is this the yielding moment? I don't know what's going on. Just get lost. Let's get lost in his presence. We don't have a ministry team tonight. We don't have an altar call tonight. I want you to get lost in the presence of God tonight. I want us to learn how to build a resting place for God in our midst. And that from this place, everything that we do could flow. Everything that you do in your life flowing from this place. So do what you have to do, guys. Get on your knees. Cry. Weep. Stand. Jump. Sit. Who cares? Get desperate for Jesus tonight. These were some of my prayer points for you guys. And if they resonate, maybe that's what God wants to do in your heart. But I prayed that yielding would take the place of skepticism. I believe anything could happen. Like I said, when, we, when the presence of God rests here, anything could happen. Whatever sickness is in this room, it could go. Whatever demons in this room, it could go. Literally anything could happen if he's really resting in here. I believe that. And so when that happens, are you going to yield to it? Are you going to let skepticism rob you from his power? If you need the power of God tonight, seek, his, seek him. He would love to do it. I, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to just create space for God to do anything, man. I'm, I'm just so fired up right now. When he's in the room, anything can happen. That excites me. The next hour is going to be crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I prayed that people would go deeper in worship than they ever have. That you would engage in ways you've never engaged before. I prayed for tears. I prayed for myself that I would get tears. because of Not because of an emotional hype response. Because I want to see God in his worth in such a way that it has to provoke tears in me. I want to see his beauty in such a way that it has to provoke tears in me. I'm talking to you as a guy who's not that emotional. And I'm telling you, I want to see him deeper. I want to see what David saw, man. I want to see better as one day in your house. So I feel God's going to take some of you deeper in worship than you've ever been before. Get wild. 
Don't care about the person to your left or to your right. He's in the room. Respond to him. And the last thing I'm going to say, I felt is just that we were going to fall in love again. I felt some of you who've been really far off, you're really dry, you're really defeated right now that the Lord was going to refresh you in his presence. You're going to be so refreshed as we just look at God. And for some of you that, that have been walking with God, or you're like, you know, you've been coming to nights like this, I feel like God wants you to fall in love with him afresh tonight. That's what I want to do. I want to fall in love with God afresh tonight in worship. And so, like I said, I don't have a, I typically have like a response, like this is what we're going to do, but the response is host his presence. So, you guys ready to do that? Let's do it. Put yourself in a position, whatever you need to do to honor him. Remember, we're going to enter in with thanks and with praise right now. We're going to welcome the King of glory and yield to him. Yield to him. Do what you have to do. Yield to him tonight. Jesus, come. We adore you and we say, you can do whatever the heck you want to do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Make us a resting place at the Every Heart Movement, Lord.